Well, good evening, guys. Uh, Pastor Mike and Terry are either on their way back or they might be real close to getting back. They went up Northern California to a nephew's wedding and actually had a great time. I saw some of the pictures. It's out by a vineyard and just really nice up there. So I'm sure they enjoyed their time, a little time away. They made a vacation of it for, for a week, almost a week. Uh, so just keep them in your prayer that they'd be refreshed in the Lord and ready to go some more. Uh, so in the meantime, tonight we're going to be looking at a couple things, kind of a principle, I think, to look at. And, and really the title of my study is, Who Has Your Heart? And I want to start by reading some scripture. But the one thing that I always like is in Ezra, when Ezra comes back and they built this platform, it was probably about... I don't know, four feet high, and then he would read to all the people, and all the people would stand. So with God's word, let's just have reverence for it, and we're going to read through six verses. And so if you could just stand with me real quick, we'll start off with Deuteronomy chapter 6. I know, Bumi, it's not there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And uh, we'll just start reading there. It says very simply, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your houses. You shall walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, Lord, we just ask that we would allow your heart, your, your words to penetrate our hearts that we would leave here filled with your word and your direction and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and have a seat. And we're going to start off with 1 Samuel chapter 16 and just looking at a couple of hearts for a couple of people and watching what happens when we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And uh, it's just taking our eyes off the Lord is really the simple theme of, of tonight's service, not doing that. So First uh, Samuel chapter 16, we'll look at verses uh, 1 through 12, and, uh, and then move on from there. So it says here, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I, am, I provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, Well, how can I go? He's fearful that the king is going to find out about this and, and kill him because he's going to go anoint another king. So skipping to verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and they said, Do you come peaceably? So they think, Oh, no, maybe we're in trouble. Because uh, he's a judge, and, and the Lord speaks through Samuel. And so verse 5, it says, and it said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And verse 6, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So the eldest boy son there, Eliab, is... Man, he's a good-looking guy. He's big and he's built, and he's the eldest son. This has got to be the king, and and the next king that I'm going to anoint. And verse seven it says, "But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord." looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen these. So how well does Samuel know Jesse? Not that well. Well enough to know he has a bunch of kids, and he's supposed to make one king. And he's like, Well, I've just seen all these kids are there any more? Are there any more? So uh, verse 9, then, and, or excuse me, uh, verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, well, there's a young man here. Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send out for him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one didn't matter that he was the smallest, that he was the runt, that he was out just hanging out with the sheep. And that's the least of all the jobs of all of them that they had, and that's what David was doing. And so 
right away. He anoints him. Why? Because Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. And the first question is, well, whoops, excuse me. What about my heart? What about your heart? What does the Lord see? What is he looking at when he looks at you and your heart? And just kind of think about that as we're going through. When the Lord sees King David, King David was not perfect. He had his problems. We'll look at a couple of them. But it's the heart that he's after. It's the overall heart, and we need to remember where our heart is. It needs to be focused, like I read before. We love the Lord with all our hearts, and that's what we're looking at. So we can actually look a couple examples. I didn't even put it up there. Just really quick, Exodus thirty-three eleven. We got Moses, and I thought, well, let's come up with a nickname for a couple of these guys and kind of remember why. And I thought, well, what's a good one? Because the Lord, it says here, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So I figured, well, we'll nickname him Meeting Moses because he met with God. Meeting Moses face to face as a friend. How often do you meet with the Lord? Do people know you're a person of prayer, that you, that you meet with the Lord regularly? Um, Exodus 34, 30 also tells us, When Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. He met with the Lord, and it was obvious. In fact, it was so obvious, they were scared to sit down with Moses because he, was, he had to put a veil on his face. Do people, I don't, are people scared? No. Do people know you meet with the Lord? Do people know that you've been with the Lord? Oh, that was a scripture I was thinking. Um, and um, I can't remember. I think it's Matthew. But we read that um, the, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, who was Peter and, uh, Peter? Peter, Paul. Anyway, the disciples are out there. They're meeting. They're causing a ruckus. They're turning the world upside down for the Lord. And, and so they're taken, they're arrested, they're taken away, and they said, we told you not to speak the name of the Lord anymore to these people. And then they started coming up with these answers and speaking to him with boldness, but they perceived that they had been with the Lord. Do people perceive that you've been with the Lord? Are you in his word that much? Are you in his godly fellowship that much? They perceive you've been with the Lord, just like meeting Moses was. And then there's Abraham. In fact, James 2.23 tells us that he was called a friend of God. So I thought, well, what's a good nickname? Associate Abraham. So we kind of remember. He associated with the Lord. He was a friend of, considered that he was a friend of God. And then there were some women I was looking at. Well, there's Abigail. And I, I came up with a nickname for her. We'll get to her later. But a base Abigail. She was a base before the Lord when she even met with David to take care of some things. And we'll look at that a little bit. But we're going to focus on David. And I came up with a nickname for him. And at first I thought, well, is this a good... Yeah, this is. It's a good nickname. Distinguished David. Why is he so distinguished? Turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to skip the verse, uh, chapter 25 and 1 Peter. We'll get back to those later. But 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to look at the first few verses here, 1 through 4. It says, now the Philistines... The Philistines gathered their armies together in a battle, and they were gathered at Sukkoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sukkah and Azekah and Ephstamim. And Saul, the men of Israel, were gathered together. They were encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath whose height was six cubits in a span. So he's like nine feet tall. He's a big guy. He's scary. He's out there. And then they go on. There's a whole description of what he had, what he wore, and how heavy everything was. And he even had an armor bearer. And uh, we go through. We can skip to verse 10. It says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here's the king of Israel with all of his army, and they are terrified. They are afraid. The world is against them. Nothing's, what are they going to do? And we can skip ahead even to verses 24 and 25. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give the father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So David is at home with, with dad. He's tending the sheep, and dad goes to Jesse. He says, You know what, David? 
I want you to take this, all these gifts, these meat and the cheese, and bring it on over to your brothers and, and bring some gifts to the leader of your brothers there so that yeah, he'll, he'll see favorably on them. And so David comes over there to do this, and he's hearing all this and seeing all this happen and what's going on with Saul and the army and all of these things. And so we pick up here in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him because he came out there and he's in there and he's hearing all this and saying, What shall be done for the man who kills a Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised filling that he should def- Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so here he is in verse 27. And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be for the man who kills him, just as what they had said before. And Eliab, remember Eliab? He was the oldest brother who was not selected to be king. But what does he say? Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he was speaking to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come here? And what have you done with the sheep? You've just left him. You've ditched the house. And you've come over here to just trouble us. He's pointing out the fact that he's a little brother. He's the guy. He's just getting in a way. And he just needs to be out messing with the sheep and that's all he's good for but when when uh, David answers in verse 29 he said what have I done is there not a cause and he's sitting there saying in verse 30 we follow up he says then he turned from toward from him and toward another and said the same thing and these people answered him as the first ones did and so it's interesting in, in the way he's answering and what he's saying because I'm not reading in the text or anything he's like hey I need to get the details what's going on what, what's going to happen kind of almost insinuating well if I take him down what's going to happen what's going to happen to the guy and so his brother's like what are you talking about get out of here and, and the reason I say I'm not reading in the details is because if we look at the next verse 31 it says now when the words which David spoke were heard they reported them to Saul and Saul sent for him so all the words and his attitude, I don't want to say his cockiness, but his, his confidence in the Lord and absolute, utter disdain and disgust for this Philistine and what he's doing to God's people reaches Saul, and Saul sins for this man. And so we can see in verses 32 and 33, it says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine or fight with him for... You are a youth, and this man has been a man of war from his youth. So he says, you know what? There's no way you can do this, but what does the Lord look at? It's not the appearance. It's not the stature. The Lord looks at his heart. Saul doesn't see his heart. Saul, remember, he is head and shoulders above the rest, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, this guy's good looking. He could be our king. And that's what the people keep looking at is the outside. And so, again, verse 34 through 37, David goes through this whole whole thing and he says to Saul he says your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock I went after it struck it delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me I caught it by the beard I struck it and killed it your servant has done both lion and bear and he goes through these details God has given me the ability to take care of what he's given to me I can do this there's no problem there's there's no big deal with this this is what this is what I do and this is how I've done it and he's kind of like, well, doesn't everybody who take care of their sheep, isn't that what they do? Isn't that what you're supposed to do, king? Aren't you the one leading these sheep? So I'm sure already it's kind of, there's got to be some conviction. I, mean, I read this and I think, well, am I that confident in what the Lord and where the Lord has placed me for me to go forward and just know, well, this is where the Lord's called me to go. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is the tools I've had. This is how I've been trained. I'm going to use that unless the Lord gives me something else. Let's go. And so what happens, we can pick up even a little further there in verse verse 38. We can see what happens. Uh, So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head so that he clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword on his armor and he tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't even walk in these for I've not tested them. So David took them off. So basically Saul's like, look, you you need to do this. This is how you fight him. And, And these are the different things that you can do and the way you know how to do it. And this is how we do it. And gives him this ABC thing, all these schemes you know what, there's no new tricks, there's no new things, it's 
not a new whatever um, what he's doing. You don't have a, a thermometer off to the side and all these graphs and charts and here's how you come around them. That's not what David did. David took the tools that the Lord gave him. And what did he do? It's very simple. He took, um, he took them off in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Why five? Goliath had four brothers. He's thinking ahead. So, well, one for each. Okay, that's fine. I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Pick out the stone. Nice, smooth stones. Perfect ones for chucking out of his sling. And he put him in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and the sling in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So when we look at these different things, he comes up in verse 40, and we, there's a whole lot of different things, just a few things and what's going on back and forth and words between the Philistine and, and, and David and what happens. But in verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. We know the rest of the story. We'll read it in just a second. But we each have a part that the Lord has prepared us for. This is the day that the Lord prepared for David. He's out there. He has a heart. The Lord knew his heart, saw his heart, and put that desire in himself to, to just not necessarily defend the Lord, but to have this righteous indignation to go serve God and make things right. Without even realizing it, David already has a heart for the sheep. Not the sheep, but in the past, but the people. Sal taught us Thursday, and he's talking, liking fish to, to us. Well, tonight we're going to liken the sheep to us. And so he's already got this innate desire to serve, to protect and to, uh, these sheep. And there's one thing that is very clear. We have neighbors, we have people, I have a spouse. We have ministries that we're called to. Do we go with that same effort and desire just to go and do like King David did. Now, he wasn't even king then. He was a kid. There's Philistines twice as height and he goes out there to fight him. A um, couple of scriptures on, on fear and I thought of Matthew 24, 46. Blessed, or before I get to that actually, um, Matthew 24, 46. There's something that the Lord, this is the Lord's words. He says, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, find him so doing. That's it. The Lord is telling us we are blessed as his servant when he comes back that we're doing for the Lord. David is doing. Saul, or Saul, sorry, Saul. Saul is sitting. <laughs> Get my words confused here. So we all have time. We all have talent. We all have treasure to get the T's there. But back to David, if he's, he's not using these proven methods or anything, 10 easy steps to free yourself from a Philistine. It's nothing like that. It's just go and do. And that's what we need to do. If we have our heart after the Lord, we go and do. He knows his place as a shepherd. In fact, I read, read a book and, um, well, I listened to a book and it was an incredible book. It was a, a, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 and um, it, was, it was hard for me to get past the reader of it, but the words and what he was saying is incredible. Because here's a guy who, who took care of uh, sheep ranches, and he knew sheep, all the issues and things that happened with them and how to take care of them and what they were. So he really had an insight as to the Lord taking care of sheep. And even that much more, if, if we have sheep around us, we all have people that, that are uh, less mature than us, other sheep that we need to take care of, that we're called to take care of. Just like Peter, what did the Lord tell him? Feed my sheep. Take care of them. If you love me, we're to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. We need to feed the sheep. There's all, for me, it's a wife. It's a whole family, five, six kids. Now i got a son-in-law. Now i got a grandbaby, all these things. I need to continually care for these people, just like this example with, with David. And so David, he's just doing. He has a heart after the Lord, and he's serving him. And Moses, um, Moses, another example, again, in, in his heart, in his desire for the people. Remember, called a meeting Moses, so he can remember why, because he met face-to-face -face with the Lord. But in Exodus 32, 11, and I have it up there. I'm just going to read it real quick. He pleads with the Lord his God. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel's servant, to whom you swore an oath, your own self, and said, I will multiply your descendants. He interceded on behalf of these people to the Lord 
when they had sinned, when he came down with the Ten Commandments, he prostrated himself before the Lord and said, Lord, they're your people. Take care of them. And I plead for them. And what's this king doing? He's not doing a thing, King Samuel, or King Saul. So, in 1524, um, 1 Samuel 1524, just a couple of chapters back, we can look at what Saul said to Samuel when he finally understood what he had done wrong. And he said, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord your, and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Who was his God? Where was his heart? His heart was with the people. We can even look in, in the beginning of that chapter 15 and, and how Samuel, in verse 1, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, I will punish Amalek for what they did to Israel, how they ambushed him on the way when they came out from Egypt. When they were delivered from Egypt in Exodus 17, 400 years before this day, the Lord is revisiting Amalek and repaying them for what they had done. 400 years of, of respite, of, of opportunity for them to repent. Finally, this is it. He's got to take care of them. In fact, these people are so wicked. They are so awful and wicked. He is called here in verse 3, no, get, no, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. For do not spare them, but kill them both, man, women, infant, nursing, nursing, child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Destroy everything. These people were so perverse, so wicked, so diseased, so vile, they had to be utterly destroyed. That's what Saul was called to do. But what did he do in verse 9? But Saul and the people spared Agag, the king, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised, worthless, they had utterly destroyed. What did he want? He wanted to bring something back and dedicate it to the Lord in front of the people so they could see him do that. How do I know? Because even later on there in this chapter, what did he do? Um, he built up in verse 12, it says, uh, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. He even set up a big old monument for himself that everybody could look at. Look what Saul did. Nowhere, anywhere did the Lord tell him to do that. Where was his heart? It wasn't there. We've got to remember it. Our own businesses, in our own lives, in our own families. Are we out there setting up monuments? Are we setting up a legacy? Are we trying to build something that's outside of what the Lord wants, outside of his will? Who are we serving? That's what we have to remember. These are the very things. These are the very lessons. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us these were written here for us, for our admonition, for our training, for our correction, so that we would see them to do the things that we need to do. So he was trying to glorify himself, and, and his heart is off of the Lord. Everything is just tumbling down and falling apart. And so the same thing. We, have, we also have Jonathan. I want to look at Jonathan really quick. And actually, we can flip back to chapter 14 and look at Jonathan. And can I stop and think, well, here's Jonathan. He's a godly young man, and we'll see a couple of things. But, wow, what kind of example of a father does Jonathan have? And so, but Jonathan's godly. He loves the Lord. And that kind of reminds us, well, what kind of example do we have as a, as a father? Or even worse yet, what kind of example as a father are you? Am I? Are we doing some of these same things? Are we taking our kids' eyes off of the Lord? So what's going on? Let's look at how strong and committed uh, Jonathan is, is to the Lord. We can see in verses 1 and 2, um, Saul and his, his son Jonathan. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, now remember this is before Goliath. This is a little time before Goliath, just six months maybe a few months before Goliath. Now it happened one day, Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor, come let us go over the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. That, But he did not tell his father. Why wouldn't he tell his father? I said, oh, no, 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 don't do that, son, no. Why? He would want to preserve his life probably. Oh, no, no, no. That's, can't do that. It's too dangerous. And Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Saul's kicking back on the outskirts in the shade He's not being a leader. He's not doing what the Lord tells him, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So he's an example for 600 armed men for battle 
let's go hide out here on the outskirts. I'll kick back behind, under the tree. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli. It goes on all these people. But they didn't know that Jonathan had gone. And so where they had gone and all that kind of says which way they went. But verse 6, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, and just ungodly people is what he's really referring to. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said, Do all that is in your heart. I'm with you, bro. I am going and I will back you up. So much so we can look at verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up this, this hill, this mountain, on his hands and knees. He's scrambling up this thing with his armor bearer after him. So uh, what is Jonathan doing? He's leading. He's going. He's got his armor bearer. Um, but he's going. And they fell before, and before him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. So as Jonathan is coming up and he's fighting, his armor bearer has taken him down. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within half an acre of land. And you know, my house is kind of catty corner in a cul-de-sac, and it's about a third of an acre. I think, wow, just a little bit more. I'm thinking, wow, if I was, was Jonathan and I had an armor bearer and there's these Philistines everywhere, and thinking 20 of them dead in my yard. I mean, just kind of putting into perspective of what they did and then the fear that came upon the Philistines because you had men that were after God's heart. And so we can see, he goes here, and and then we can look at, well, here's uh, verse 17. Then Saul said to the people, well, let's back up. Let's look at verse 15. And they were trembling in the camp and in the field among all the fields. The garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. So now, here's two people just totally committed after the Lord, the numbers are insurmountable for him to go up against, but he knows the Lord's called them to do it. They go, and what happens? In faith, they're going out there, and the Lord causes the earth even to tremble. And there you go. What happens? Verse 16. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away, and they went over there. And Saul said to the people well, who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they called the roll, surprisingly... Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. Surprisingly, oh, his son is not like his dad. His son seeks the Lord. Are you that kind of son? Are you that kind of father that would be an example to your son? Or are you like an an example to to, uh, just like Saul is? You're a coward. You're just hiding. You're afraid. You're afraid of the people. You're not even looking at the Lord and letting him do a work through you. And every time I ask these questions, I'm asking myself the same thing. i got all these kids. That's my concern. I look at all these things. What am I doing to my kids? Or am I doing God to my kids, for my kids? That's what I have to remember all the time. And so it goes on in in uh, 1 uh, Samuel. I get a, uh, the answer in chapter 20. You don't have to turn there. But why does Saul end up pursuing David? when David's out there doing everything he can, serving the Lord and going out all these things. It says here in 2031, 1 Samuel says, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, so this is David, you shall not be established nor your kingdom when, when Saul is speaking to his son Jonathan. He cares only about his kingdom and what he's going to have for his son and what his son gets to get away with. That's all he cares about. He's not caring about God, the people, and the sheep, the people that are entrusted to him. The Lord will take care of you if you care for those that the Lord puts in in your way. And so whose kingdom is he looking for? What kingdom am I looking for? Is it God's? Is it what God will do through me or what I want to do, what I get out of what I get out of things? And so let's go back to distinguished Dave. Let's go up to chapter 18. 18 verse 7. We can look at um, what's going on and the thing that's just infuriating Saul. Saul is uh, women saying as they dance and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Why are they saying these things about him? In verse 14, we can look at David behaved wisely in all he did. In verse 28, we can see that Saul, 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 
boy, that's tough. Saul saw and knew the Lord was with David. Saul knew the Lord was with David, and yet he still pursued him, and yet he still did these things. In verse 30, we can look at, David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. He just loved the Lord and served him. And so, it's good stuff. What happens when our eyes come off the Lord, though? What happens to David in 1 Samuel chapter 21? We can look at, oh, what a bummer. And and, and David slips up here. And in chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, we'll look at those. It's how David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David had to run because Saul wanted to kill him. Saul met with Jonathan. I'm sorry, David met with Jonathan. And they talked about what was going on. And you know what? You need to go. And so... David is running for his life. He's fearful, and now he comes up to Abimelech, the priest, a ways away from where uh, uh, David, where uh, Saul is. In verse 2, so David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business. Oh, he's lying. And said to me, don't let anyone know about anything of the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? He's looking for food. He wants to eat. He needs to feed his people that are with him. But he sits there and he lies. He just, a bald-faced lie. And what he's doing, he's scared for what's going on. He's taken his eyes off the Lord. So we have to remember, and we can look at verse 10, excuse me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul. And went to Achish, the king of Gath. So now he's going over to an enemy, a Philistine enemy as well. But who did he flee from? He fled from Saul. He didn't seek the Lord. He fled from Saul. His eyes ended up moving to the wrong place. They came off of the Lord and went on Saul. He's got to have a heart sold out for the Lord, but he's slipping because he took his eyes off of the Lord. And so the decisions we make, the same thing at work. Sometimes we can... Take our eyes off the Lord. We can't do that. We have to keep. We have to remember when we're on vacation, we're at work, or with the people, we're ministering, whatever it is. Continually focus on the Lord, and He's going to direct us in the things that we do. And we don't have to lie and make up stuff because you're running scared, and that's what He's doing. And you know what? The fact of the matter is, any time we take our eyes off the Lord, death. Someone always dies. There's always death. And in, in whether it's physically or spiritually. We look at Adam and Eve, what happened? What did Satan say? Oh, you're not going to die. You're just going to be like God, knowing good and evil. That's all. Oh, yes, but you're going to know that evil, aren't you? And that's the point. And we can look at, um, we can go ahead here in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 22. And we can look and read. It says, very simply what had happened. The king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg was there when David was talking to Ahimelech and found out what was going on, what King David was doing, and Saul just was infuriated and said, you know what, you go find out where he is and you get going, what's going on. So he sends Doeg to go over there and do it. And and, and he tells Doeg, you turn and kill the priests because none of the other armor and People, None of the other um, uh, Saul's army would kill or touch the priest. But Doeg, well, he's an Edomite. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. That's the priest. Also in Nob, the city of the priests, he struck down with the edge of the sword, both men, women, and children, and nursing infants, oxen, donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. Sin always leads to death. Here, it's very physical. Normally, it's just spiritual death. It's destitute. But what happens with the example or what people see? The only example is an ungodly example. Where else would that go if we learn those are the things and we don't seek the Lord or see the Lord? Um, so when we go on and we look at that, come back and we can remember Moses. Remember meeting Moses? He met with God face to face. Remember the Egyptian that was beating the Hebrew before he ended up going out to the desert? Moron Moses, what that would be. He looked to the left, to the right, and he beat the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. He forgot to look up. 
So then he was in out there. He had 40 years to learn how to be humble. In fact, he learned so well, and numbers were told that Moses ended up being the most humble man on the face of the earth. How else are you going to meet with God face to face? That's how he met with God. And so even Abraham, every time he stopped going in the direction that the Lord told him, there was silence. So he'd go, he told him in, in Genesis 13, it says, And the Lord said to Abram after, after, or I'm sorry, in verse Genesis 12, 1, he said, Get out of the country from your family. And he goes, because I have a place I'm going to take you. And then there was famine and some issues, but, but the Lord did tell him, I'm going to give you all of this area here, what he's going to give him. And then there was silence. Why? Because when Abraham left, he didn't go from his family. He took a lot with him. The Lord didn't speak to him again until verse 14 in Genesis 13. It says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him, Here is the land that I'm going to give to you and your descendants. So every time you take your eyes off the Lord, it's silence. I don't want to hear silence, nothing. That's not good. I want to be focused on the Lord. And back to 1 Samuel 21.10, we can look at... Uh, in 21.10, it says here that David arose and he fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. So now, again, who did he take his eyes off of the Lord and he fled from Saul? It's not he sought the Lord and went somewhere. He just fled from Saul because his eyes, again, were off of the Lord. And so in Samuel 21.11 and 12, the servants of Achish said to him, This is not David, the king of the land. Did, did, did they not sing one of another? This Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So now they're recounting. And then what happens with fear? Here's fear. And then all of a sudden he, he take it, took those words to heart and he was very much afraid of Achish the king. And so he changed his behavior and ran around like a crazy man. 2 Timothy 1.17 tells us very clearly, For God does, has not given us a spirit of fear. Why is he in a spirit? He's taken his eyes off the Lord. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can look real quick. Math of Mark chapter 4. Just kind of an example for us. Mark chapter 4. Um, 4 verses 35 through um, 40. And it says... Uh, here's the disciples, and he goes over the parables, and he's talking to his disciples. He says, on the same day, in verse 35, and the evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So he's telling the disciples, let's take the boat, go on the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they, they took him along in the boat, and he was, as he was, and other boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat the boat so that it was already, already uh, filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he rose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? Even the wind and the sea listen to him. And so he told them, first of all, we're going to pass over to the other side. The Lord told David, he anointed King David, you're going to be king. And what's he doing? He's running and hiding and fearful and going to the enemy and doing all these things and lying. The windstorm. What are the storms of the things that we have? And he's like, care we not perish? The disciples say to him, it's ridiculous. He told them, We'd go to the other side. He's going to see us through. Why were they so fearful? They have no faith. Their eyes were not on him. Their eyes were on the wind. Their eyes were everywhere else, not recognizing he's God. He's going to take care of us. Where's David's eyes? It's not on the Lord. It's not on God. Where are your eyes? Where are my eyes? I got, sometimes I forget. I got to put them back. Focus on the Lord. He's going to be the one to deliver us. Luke 12.5 tells us, Fear him who after he is killed and has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say fear him. It's the Lord that has our soul. That's who we fear. That's who we respect. That's who we look after. That's who guards our lives, our spirits, our souls. Exodus 1.21, we can see the same thing with what was the worst position for David 
or all these ladies, these maid uh, midwives that were out there, they were commanded by Herod. If there's a boy born, born of a Hebrew person, drown that boy. You drown it. And what was it that said? Um, and, it, and so it was because, I nicknamed them Marvelous Midwives, because the midwives feared God, he provided households for them. Because they feared the Lord, their hearts were with the Lord, he provided households for them. He protected them. And he guided them and encouraged what they did. They honored the Lord. They had no other gods before them. They loved him with all their hearts. Everything they had, all their strength, it didn't matter what the threat was. Isaiah 35, 4 says, Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. He's there. He's always there. We just have to look to him. And so, back to 1 Samuel 22, uh, looking at, at verses um, oops, 1 and 2. We can see David is back seeking the Lord. And we can see why or how. We can look at it in verses 1 and 2. Just a couple little things. David therefore departed from there. He, he went on uh, after, went from Achish, and he went to a cave, and now he's here, and he's coming along. And he went to the caves of, or escaped from the cave of Ed, Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men. So now he's running around with 400 people. In verse 5, is now a prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. Oh, praise God. All I have to hear, the prophet and he's talking to a prophet. He's seeking God's direction. His eyes are focused back on the Lord. They better be because he's got 400 people following him. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And then we can look verses 20 and 22. Something else is going on. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David and that Saul had killed all the Lord's priests. Remember all that happened? And he told them all the things that happened. And David, he's already back with the Lord. He's always seeking the Lord. But the repercussions of a simple lie, a simple wrongdoing like that, and all of a sudden it's coming around to come get him already. And the horrible sin, the horrible death that was caused. And we have to think of the words that we leave places, the things that we do when we take our eyes off the Lord and the effect they have. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of, of all uh, the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for Saul is after me too. And so he goes on and he recognized what's going on, that, that Saul is continually after them. So in verses 20, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. Ah, I love it, he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord tells him, Yes, go. And he inquires of him again, because the men say, well, Wait a minute, if we're stuck in there, we're trapped. Saul's going to come get us. And the Lord says, Go. And David even prays. He says, Well, will the people of Keilah turn me over? Yeah, they will. But Go. So what is he? He's a man after God's heart. In the face of the danger, in the face of it goes on, he still goes. And the Lord is so faithful in what he does. We can look at verses 12 and 13, or even the next chapter. And, oh, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 23. It says here, uh, no, that's not the chapter. Is it? Yes, it was. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me? into the hand of the Saul, and the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600. He just grew by another 200 people. Another 200 people because he sold out for the Lord. His heart is for the sheep, for the people that are trusted to him. How sold out for you? Will, Lord not, will the Lord not reward you, take care of you, and bless you, and give you that encouragement, the people to come in behind you? That's what he's done here. Now, all of a sudden, there are 600 people. They departed from Keilah and what went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted that expedition. So the Lord's just blessing him because he's following the Lord, doing the things that he needs to do. And we can look at, even at Exodus, looking at, at Moses 
in chapter 32, 31, 32. You don't have to read. I'll just read it. It says, Then Moses returned to the Lord again. Oh, these people have committed a great sin. They have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but I pray if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. He is so committed, so dedicated at the task at hand to do what the Lord has called him to do. He says, Lord, take me. Save these people. You delivered them. You delivered me. I, I give everything over to you. Are we at that position that we can just give ourselves over to the Lord? That's what we're called to do. Joshua, he was called to, to be strong and be of good cheer, not to be fearful. The Lord is going to take care of it. If he's called us to go anywhere, it's like Robin up here. We got to pray for Robin. She's going with the Navy, going over to Japan for three years. Anybody that's going into the services, they're doing what the Lord called them to do. That is the safest place in the world for that person to be. That's where he's called them to be. They're there doing what the Lord has. It doesn't matter where, as long as we're following what the Lord has called us. And then there's Abigail. Um, love Abigail so much there that I've got a kid named Abigail. And, uh, and it says here in chapter 25 of Samuel, uh, of, yeah, 1 Samuel, chapter 25, verses 7 through 12, we can look at King David's out there and he's wandering around with all these 600 people and he's next to Nabal and, and his um, area and he's guarding his area. None of the sheep are lost. They're guarded. They're taken care of. And now Nabal is going to be shearing the sheep. It's party time. And David sends a group of men to go talk to Nabal and say, you know, maybe he's going to give us some sheep so that I can feed my men. And verse 7, it says, Now I've heard you have shearers and you have shepherds, uh, and your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them while they were with, uh, while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men. They will tell you. They say, we took care of them. We made sure there was... In fact, when a sheep was lost, we gave them one of ours to take so they wouldn't get in trouble for it. We would absorb the loss. He goes on and on. And Nabal answered in verse 10, the David servants, and said, who is David, the son of Jesse? Who, the guy was anointed king. Well, who is this guy? Who are these people? David ended up just coming unglued. And so he comes back. He takes 400 of his men. He's coming back, and he's killing everything. He doesn't care. He's killing every living person. And the wife, uh, Abigail, sees in verse 28... Here's what she says. Here's when she finally, first of all, she made um, right away, as soon as she heard what happened, Abigail in verse 18 made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wines, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. She said, we're going, we're on our way, we're going to give this to David. That's what she did. And then verse 28, she does a couple of things. And this is what we need to do as our example, the things that we, we need to come alongside and encourage people, remind people of what the Lord has done, to be reminded of those things as well. Allow others to remind us, please forgive, in verse 28, the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. She says, wait a minute. The Lord God, for my Lord you, David, will make your house enduring and last because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. So David fights the battles of the Lord. Evil is not found in you throughout your days. Oh, David, you're not evil. You never think of just murdering a bunch of people because you're upset. But he's reminding him, this is evil, the thing that you're going to do. Verse 29, 29, yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. That's Saul chasing him. And but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall slink out as from the pocket of a sling. What does that remind you of? David, don't you remember you killed the Philistine with a sling and a stone? You had a pocket full of them. May the Lord, with a, you were a little boy and you killed this guy with a stone. What's the Lord going to do? with the same thing. And she's just reminding him, and it shall come to pass in verse 30, when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and he has appointed you ruler of Israel, that this will be no grief to you, no offense, no blot on your record, because you're going to be king. Remember the promise God gave to you. Go in that and honor the Lord. Praise him. 
Worship him. That's what you need to do. And what does David say in verse 32? Oh, then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me to this day from from coming to bloodshed, from avenging myself with my own hand. That's what Saul has been teaching everybody to do. It's me, 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 me. Put a monument up to me. I did this. I got this trophy. Here's the king I conquered. Here's the best of it. I want you to see me, me, me. He's reminded of what he's doing and that he's doing it for the Lord. And we have to remember the things that we do. Do we do it for the Lord? We need to be people focused on what he has done for us. Remember the promises that he's given us, the things that he's taken us through. I'm 47 years old. I've got six kids. You can imagine. I've started a business. I had nothing. I had in-laws buying me groceries. I've got all of these things. I've gone through so many different things. I've had pneumonia. I thought I had cancer. I have to remember these things and rest on what the Lord has taken me through. And those are the things, if you just remember, and Abigail's just reminding him just a few of the things that she's known that he's had. And we, where or who has our heart? What do people, our family, see us doing? And Matthew, I want to end with Matthew um, uh, 22, verses 33, 37 to 40. Matthew 22, just the same thing as what we started with. We read Deuteronomy 6, 5, but what did the Lord say? If I can find Matthew, I know it's here in my book somewhere. (laughs) Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. We have a man that came up to him. We'll start at 34. But when the Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, he gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So you know what the law is? The law, you break one, you've broken them all. Master, why don't you tell me which one is more important? So what does the Lord say? He said, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what we read in Deuteronomy 6 when we started this. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You love the Lord, you got the first four commandments. The next six all has to do with people. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's what we do. We love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul, and all of our strength, and we go forward in that. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you and we thank you for your word, your direction, the things that you've called us to. Father, your protection, your guidance, the things that you do, the things that you've taken us from. And Father, so much more, the things that you're going to take us through. Father, may we just be people to always have our eyes on you, have a heart sold out for you like David. This man, yeah, he made mistakes and we see the cost of those Lord, may we not make those mistakes. May we learn from them in the, in the writing and your word that's right there, that you would put them on our hearts, that we would always remind them, remind, be reminded of them in our own hearts. So, Father, again, we just lift up this service to you. We lift up Pastor Mike and Terry as they've come back from vacation, that they, again, would be rested and ready to serve, serve you by caring for the sheep that are in, in their hands, Lord. And may we know and understand and seek the seek after those that you've placed into our hands, Father, that we would commit them and dedicate it to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and